I've noticed in my own life that anytime I'm preaching on a topic, that God has a way of giving me an opportunity in real life to put, you know, put that topic to practice. And so we're thinking about kindness. On Thursday morning, I got up and piddled around the house for a little bit. About 11 o'clock, I turned the television on. I wanted to watch a little bit of the Detroit, Lane, uh, Detroit Lions Buffalo Bills game. You know, it just wouldn't be Thanksgiving without a little Detroit Lions football right at the early hour. Well, my cable was out, so I couldn't watch it. I went in the back room, cable was out in there, so I called the company and, and I said, look, my cable is out. It's Thanksgiving day, all the game's on. Is there any way we can get this fixed? And so she worked on it. She said, you know, you know how they tell you, unplug this, plug it back in, cross your finger, cross your toe, say a prayer, hopefully it'll work. So we're doing all these things. Nothing is working. On the phone for over an hour with this lady and uh, never could get it fixed. They came out yesterday and fixed it. But in the middle of all this, she said, according to our records here, you're one of our lucky customers and we can give you a good deal on a mobile phone if you would be interested in that. And I'm thinking... A lucky customer. I can't even watch a Detroit game on the game. But I was thinking, no, be kind, be kind, be kind. Don't say that. Well, they went on and went to my parents' house, had lunch with them. And after lunch, we went in their living room, sat down, their big screen TV, their cable was working just fine. Now we're watching the Cowboys game instead of the Detroit game. And I said to my parents, I have never been so glad to be with y'all on Thanksgiving Day. And they didn't even know what I was talking about. I thought about that ball game we were able to watch. But anyway, I, you know, as I was thinking about that, when I was on the phone with that lady, she really was nice. And I, I didn't have to try to make myself be kind because kindness, if we're saved, kindness is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I didn't have to try to make myself kind, but I had to remind myself to be kind. And I, as we think on these Sunday mornings, this is the third and final sermon on kindness. That's what we have to do in life. Sometimes we get in a situation and we just have to remind ourselves be kind. Don't be rude. Don't be a smart aleck. Just stay kind. So open your Bible, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I want us to think this morning and to remind ourselves of the kindness that God has shown us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, just to kind of review where we are here, this is our third Sunday morning in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're thinking about King David. He has replaced Saul as the king of Israel. Saul has died. Saul's son, Jonathan, has died. David is now the king. And David had a heart full of kindness because he had a heart full of God. And so on one occasion, he said to one of his servants or one of his assistants there in the palace, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I could show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan and David were like best friends. They had a blood covenant and he's wanting to show this kindness to somebody uh, in Saul's family for Jonathan's sake. So let's pick up chapter nine of second Samuel verse number one. Now, David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? See, it wasn't so much David's kindness. It was the kindness of God. God was with David and had changed David's heart. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So he said, yes, king, there is. There's somebody from Saul's house that you could show kindness to. It's one of Jonathan's son, 
sons and this young man is lame in his feet. Now, as we get back into this story, I want to make a couple of statements because for the past two weeks, we've been focusing on David's kindness, how kind he was to Mephibosheth. Now, notice this. David is our role model in this story. We should have the same kindness that David had. In our dealings with others, how we treat people, how we interact with people, we, David is our role model here. We should have the same kindness he had. In fact, we should have more kindness than David had because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And David didn't have that. David had God with him in his life, but we have God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we should, we should have that kindness that David had. But in this story, notice this, we are represented by Mephibosheth. It is this son of Jonathan who represents us. And I want us to develop that today and think about the similarities. We're shifting our focus now from David to Mephibosheth. And I want to point out some similarities that we have with him. First, we like Mephibosheth were crippled by a fall. We were crippled by a fall. Now go back a few pages in 2 Samuel to chapter number four and look at verse four. We saw this verse a couple of weeks ago, but I want us to remind ourselves and see afresh how Mephibosheth became crippled. He wasn't born that way. Something happened in his life. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news came about Saul and Jonathan from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. And so here's a nurse and her job is to take care of little five-year-old Mephibosheth while his father Jonathan and his father Saul are off at war. Well, on the same day, Saul and Jonathan are killed and word gets to this nurse, this boy's father and grandfather, who happens to be the king, they have died. And so she panics. She picks up little Mephibosheth and she's taking him somewhere. We don't even know where she's taking him, but in a panic, she's going somewhere and she accidentally trips and she drops him and he became crippled at that point in his life. So you say, now, John, what does that have to do with us? Well, we, like Mephibosheth, were crippled by a fall. His fall was physical, but our fall was spiritual. We have taken as human beings, part of the human race, all of us have taken a spiritual fall. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at this verse in Romans chapter five. Paul said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who was that man? Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world so that when we were born, there are great, 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 many times great grandparents. And so they passed on to their kids and to their kids and to their kids and eventually to us, this sin nature. We're born with a disease and it is a disease of sin. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And so we have fallen spiritually. We are sinners by nature. We inherited this from Adam and Eve, but we're also sinners by choice. We have chosen, and sometimes we do, every time we sin. You know, the devil can't make you sin. Every time you sin, you choose to sin. Every time I sin, I choose to sin. Heard a story about a little boy who got in a fight with his sister. He was really mean to her. He called her a bad name. He pulled her hair. He spit in her face. And The girl went crying, told her mother about that. The mother came in 
Gave the boy a little, little whipping right there and got on to him. And she said, Billy, the devil has gotten into you. The devil made you call your brother a bad name, uh, your sister a bad name. The devil made you pull her hair and the devil made you spit in her face. Billy looked at his mother and said, now, mom, the devil made me call her a bad name and the devil made me pull her hair. But spitting in her face was my idea. I thought of that all by myself. Well, he was honest. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. Just like Mephibosheth, crippled by a fall. Not only that, we like Mephibosheth, were in a dry and barren land. Before we were saved, what were our lives like? They were dry and they were barren. Now go back to chapter nine in 2 Samuel and look in verse five, or actually in verse four. So the king said to him, where is he? Where is this Mephibosheth? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. Now, we did a whole sermon last week on Lodabar. Lo means no. The Hebrew word lo means no. Debar means pasture. Mephibosheth was living in a dry, barren place. No vegetation, no water, no food, no hope for anything good happening. And just like Mephibosheth, before we got saved, we were living in a dry and in a barren place place. We hadn't, think about, think about your life before you got saved. And if you're here today and you say, well, I've I've never made my decision for Christ. I, I think you might be describing where I am right now. Well, if you're unsaved, I can describe your life right now. There's no peace and there's no relationship with God. That's the heart of an unsaved life. That an unsaved person has no real peace and they have no relationship with God. Look at this verse, Isaiah 48, 22. There's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. You say, no, wait a second. I may not be saved, but I'm not wicked. I ain't ever killed anybody or hurt anybody or you know, done anything too bad. Well, you may not be wicked from your perspective, or I may look at your life and say, no, you're not, you're not wicked. But from God's perspective, when God looks at us with our sins, whether they're big sins or little sins, as we would call them, If those sins are unforgiven from the perspective of a holy God, we are wicked. And the Bible says there's no peace for the wicked, no peace for the unsaved. And not only that, an unsaved person has no relationship with God. Notice this verse in the New Testament in Ephesians and in chapter 2, verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. That, that is an unsaved life. That person is living apart from Christ, apart from all the peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment and all those things he gives us. And it says you were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. Now watch this next sentence. You lived in this world without God and without hope. An unsaved person, we're talking about reaching this community for Christ. We're praying God would give us 10% of this community, 15,000 people that God would give us. We're seeing eight baptized today. People are being saved every week. But we have to understand these people we're trying to reach, what are their lives like? Well, they're not necessarily bad lives. They may not do anything worse than we do. Christians sin just like non-Christians sin. We're not better than they are. What's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? The difference is we have been forgiven of our sins We have Christ living in our hearts. 
And now we have a desire to live a different kind of life. And yet the unsaved person doesn't have that. Their sins are unforgiven. They have no relationship with God and they have no peace in their life. I think about that great quote from church history by Augustine, God's great thinker one of the greatest theologians in church history. And Augustine, who before he got saved, lived a vile and a wicked life. He was with prostitutes. He lived a life of immorality, miraculously saved. His life was changed. And Augustine had many great quotes, but this is one of my favorites. And it was a prayer. He said, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You see, an unsaved person has a restless heart and they're trying to settle that restless heart down. They're trying to give peace to that restless heart and they just go from thing to thing to thing to person to event to experience and they're trying to just numb that restless heart. But that heart that is restless can only find peace and rest in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the unsaved person doesn't have that yet. But we didn't have it before we were saved. We, like Mephibosheth, were in a dry and a barren land. And not only that, we, like Mephibosheth, had no hope for a better life. Here Mephibosheth was in Lodabar. He was crippled. Back in that day, it's hard enough in this day, but in that day, if a person was crippled, it was impossible for them to find work. They couldn't be employed. That means they had no income. You say, well, his family would take care of him. His father died. His grandfather had died. He had no one to take care of him. He had nothing in his life to look forward to. And that is what it's like when a person is unsaved. They don't really have anything to look forward to. The only thing an unsaved person knows that is in their future, they know that in their future is death. And yet they're not looking forward to death because they don't know what's gonna happen to them when they die. And so what I'm describing here is an unsaved person crippled by a fall in a dry and barren land, no hope for a better life. But as we continue in this passage, it takes a better turn. We see that we like Mephibosheth here in our Lodabar, in our fallen state, nothing to look forward to in our life. When we had no peace, no real relationship with God, we were summoned by a king and we were carried by grace into the king's palace. Look in verse number five. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir from Lodabar. And so David, now the king, he sends somebody, a representative, an ambassador of his, somebody from the palace, and he says to that person, go to Lodabar and find Mephibosheth and bring him to me. And I say, you know what? That's exactly what happened when we got saved. Jesus found us in our lostness, and he brought us to himself. (laughs) We, like Mephibosheth, were summoned by a king, and we were carried by grace into the palace of God. Notice this verse in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 11. Here's the great invitation of the Bible. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's an invitation to leave Lodabar, that dry place, and come to God so that we can be saved and find forgiveness and find peace and find hope. And so we think about, how could we not think about our unsaved friends? We think about family members we have who don't know Christ. Good people, not there, I'm not saying they're bad at all. I'm just saying they're unsaved. And yet God has given us the responsibility to go and to find them and to bring them to Christ so that they could receive forgiveness and so that they too could be saved. And then we like Mephibosheth are the recipients 
of many gifts. I mean, think about what God has given us. Look at what he gave Mephibosheth in verse seven, what David gave to him. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. The first thing David showed him was just he was kind to him and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather. So now Mephibosheth is a landowner and you shall eat bread at my table continually. In other words, now Mephibosheth never has to worry about it where his next meal is coming from. The king has said, it comes here. You're going to be at my table. You're going to be in my palace forever. And I'm saying to you today that we, like Mephibosheth, as the children of God, are the recipients of many gifts. Every good thing in our life has come to us from the loving hands of a good God. And this past week on Thanksgiving Day, we celebrated that. Hopefully we did. And we hopefully do it every day. And we thank God for his gifts to us. Notice this verse in Ephesians chapter one. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, when it says every spiritual blessing, you know, we think of like spiritual blessings, peace and assurance and contentment and, you know, joy. And then we think of other blessings like material blessings, like a house or a car or clothes or food or a family or a job or money in the bank. When Paul said that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, he wasn't making the distinction that we make between the spiritual and the secular. Paul was saying, look, every blessing you have is a spiritual blessing. Everything you have is a spiritual gift from God. And, uh, you know, like last Last Thursday, my cable went out, but I still had TV. I mean, I couldn't watch it, but it was there, right? I mean, it came back on yesterday in full. But the blessings we have, and I think so many times in life, God has given us so much, and we just, and it's not that we don't mean to be thankful, but I just think sometimes we're so preoccupied and so busy, and our minds are on other things. You just wonder, like today, How many of us here, or how many watching at home, here we are at 11.45 on Sunday morning, 11.46 now on Sunday morning. How many of us today have said, God, thank you for my eyes that I can see? That's just something we take for granted. Close your eyes just for a second. Can I close your eyes? Don't go to sleep, but do close your eyes just for a second. Just keep, keep them closed just for a minute. Now, imagine that that was your life all the time. That all the time, what you're seeing now, which is the back of your eyelids, is what you saw all the time. Now open your eyes. Now think about this. If you were blind, if somebody, if a doctor said to you, there's a surgery I can do to restore your vision, what would you think? You would think, man, if I can have my vision, if God would give me my vision, then, then I would never ask for anything else. I would just, if I could just have my vision back, then I would be so happy. And yet most of us, probably 99 or maybe higher percentage than that in this room today, we have our vision and we can see. And I just wonder today, like how many of us have said, God, thank you for my vision or for our hearing, this beautiful music that we were, that we were able to worship to early and with earlier this morning. How many of us today have said, God, thank you for my ears that I can hear. Most of us walked in this worship center today. Mephibosheth couldn't have done that. He was cripple. I wonder how many of us when we woke up this morning said, God, before this day begins, I want to just thank you that I have legs that I can walk. 
Most of us had breakfast today. Certainly we'll have lunch after the service. How many of us said, God, I thank you that I have a digestive system that I can eat, that I can digest food. Well, friend, if you couldn't see or hear or walk or eat, you would think if I could just do those basic things, I would be so happy. And yet you can't. Most of us here, we can do those things. And yet, how thankful are we for that? You see, when, when Paul said, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Well, he has, and we should be thankful. This past week on Wednesday, I went and I took a day's vacation and ran some errands, and part of that was I went and paid my property taxes on my house. It's due about this time of year, and I like to pay it a little early, and I live in a small house, but I opened my property taxes up, and it was almost $4,500. And uh, I thought, man, that seems like a lot of property taxes for the house, the size house I've got. But I, I, I wrote the check and uh, put it in the, well, I didn't put it because I, I drove to Kyle Chapman up here. I paid my property tax. But you know, my attitude was, I thought, God, that does seem like a lot. But here's the bottom line. I, I'm thankful that I have a house to pay property taxes on. I mean, I think that every year. God, I'm thankful that I have a job and I'm thankful that I have money in my account. I'm thankful I can go write a check for this amount. Some of you live in houses a lot bigger than I do. Your property tax, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000, 12,000. Your property tax is $15,000 a year. See, the more I think about this, I'm more thankful for my little house because I barely paid anything compared to what you're having to pay. But if you live in a house that big, you have more money and, and hopefully, hopefully you do. Uh, or I'll rent you out a room if you get in trouble, maybe. But I'm saying, even when we pay taxes, we need to look at that in a different way. And then our families and our health and all these things, we, like Mephibosheth, are the recipients of many gifts. Now, I was looking over this sermon yesterday afternoon. It was already prepared, but I, I just kind of looked it over and kind of thinking about it. And I thought, now, you know, I mean, I want you to look back at our little outline if you have your bulletin. Just let me, let's listen to this. We think about Mephibosheth. We, like Mephibosheth, were crippled by a fall. We were in a dry and barren place without Christ. We had no hope for anything better in our life. We really didn't. But then, as an act of sheer mercy, we were summoned by King Jesus, and we were carried by his grace into his presence and since that time, we have been the, the recipients of many gifts. Now, here's what I was thinking last night. All that being true, how should that change my life or affect my life on a daily basis? I mean, all this is so true. I, I mean, I see myself in Mephibosheth. How, how should that change my life? Let me just mention a couple of things here before we stop. First of all, we should have a wonder in our worship, look in verse eight. Uh, it says, then he, that is Mephibosheth, bowed himself and said to David, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Remember Mephibosheth saying, what he was really saying to David was, king, who am I? I'm crippled. I lived in Lodabar. I can't come into your palace and offer you any real service. I can't work out in the fields. I can't run errands for you. I can't fight in a war. I can't really do anything. Who am I that I would be the, the recipient of so much kindness and so much grace and so many gifts? Who am I? And did you know in our lives, as we think about what God has done for us, we should have that that, that idea, that, that feeling of wonder, God, who am I? I have that. I, I look at my own life and I just think, who am I that God 
would forgive all of my sins? Who am I that God would fill my heart with such peace and such joy? Who am I? I mean, I just honestly have to tell you how I feel. I feel like I have a dream job. I just love my job. I mean, I just, I just have a dream job. I have, I'm working in the greatest church I could imagine working for. My boss on most days is a reasonable man and a kind man. But I mean, I just look at my, I think, God, I don't even deserve to, a, a thing. I don't deserve any of this. And yet I have it and God has given it to me. Certainly doesn't mean my life is perfect. It's not, you know, it's not. And, and it's, I mean, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And yet I look at my life and I just say, God, you've just been so good to me and you've given me so much. And I'm saying in your life, in all of our lives, as we compare ourselves to Mephibosheth, we, we like him should say, who am I, God, that you have done something like that for me? So that's the first thing. We should, we should have that appreciation to God. And then we should have an enjoyment of the king's presence in our life. I, I said earlier, David did not have God living in him. He had God with him. We have God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And every day, uh, you know, the, the, West, the old Westminster Catechism, the chief, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The greatest way to spend your life is to enjoy the presence of, the unending presence of Jesus Christ from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed. That's the greatest way to spend your life. Our greatest need is not the presence of God. We already have it. Our greatest need is an awareness of the presence of God so that we could enjoy the presence of God. If Jesus Christ were in this room today physically and after the service, Jesus came up to you and said, listen, I'm going with you to lunch today and uh, I know you prefer Mexican food. I would like some fish. Jesus would say that to you. But I'm gonna go to, we'll have lunch. I'm gonna go home with you. We're going to spend the afternoon, the evening. I'm going to stay at your house tonight. In the morning, we're going to have breakfast. And I'm going to be with you all week long. Of all the people I could be with, I'm going to be in your house, in your car. I'm going to school with you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to be with you all, day, all week long. And then next Sunday, I'm going to go home with somebody else and be with them. But this week, it's me and you all week. I mean, if any of us had that, what kind of week do you think we would have? Well, I'll tell you, a different week because our focus would be so on Jesus and enjoying his presence and not worrying about anything. And I'll tell you something else. If we had Jesus Christ with us all week in the flesh, sin would lose its appeal altogether. Because if I've got Jesus with me in the flesh, last thing I want to do is sin and hurt him and embarrass me. No, I would just say, I've got Jesus with me. I would just tell my friends and family, don't call me this week. Don't, it's, I've got Jesus all week. And Jesus probably say, no, John, they can call. They can come over. I can be with more than just you. But I'm saying, if we had that, well, look, notice what it says in verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table. Here's Mephibosheth. He's thinking, man, I'm crippled. I can't do anything. I've been brought from low to bar. I thought my life had no hope. I didn't know where I'd get my next meal. And I'm at the king's table. And it says he feasted. He ate continually at the king's table. And I'm saying from the time we wake up in the morning, and I don't always do it, and, and I'm sure you don't either, but we should from the time we wake up until the time we go to bed, we should have in our minds an awareness of the presence of Jesus Christ with us. And that's something that we should learn from Mephibosheth. But as I think about Mephibosheth, all the things we have in common with him, there's one thing that is different. 
If you think about it, when Mephibosheth got to the palace and sat down at the king's table, Mephibosheth was still crippled. I mean, as wonderful as this story is, he was still crippled. Look at the last sentence in this chapter, the very last sentence. And he, that's Mephibosheth, was lame in both his feet. Now, why do you think God told the writer of this book to put that sentence in there? I mean, we already knew earlier on that he was lame. Why do you think it's repeated again at the end? And he was lame in both his feet. I think God has a message for us there. I think God is saying to us, you know, all these things that you have in common with Mephibosheth, crippled by a fall, in a dry and barren place, no hope for the future, but you were summoned by a king and carried by grace. You've been the recipient of all these gifts and all these blessings in your life. Yes, you can identify with Mephibosheth, but there's one difference. When Mephibosheth got to the palace, King David as wonderful as he was, was unable to cure and heal his crippledness. He was unable to make it where Mephibosheth could walk. What, but now think about this. What David, what King David was unable to do for Mephibosheth, King Jesus will one day do for us when we get to heaven. He will make us completely and fully whole. And that says to me, as we think about this story with Mephibosheth, the kindness of David, how that is the kindness of God toward us, not only should we have a wonder in our worship and say, God, who am I that you would do this for me? And not only should we have an enjoyment of the king's presence, he's with us from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, and then he's with us while we sleep at night. But we should have an anticipation of a better day that is coming. Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter two. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, when Mephibosheth got to that table, as good as all that was, he knew that that was as good as it would ever be because David was not a miracle worker. David couldn't make it where he could walk. But God says to us today, Remember, certainly it was true for Mephibosheth. When he arrived in heaven, he was made whole. But God is saying to us today, remember this, a better day is coming. And that thing in your life today that you wish you didn't have. I think about people in the services today. I think about people watching at home today who can't be in the service. And, uh, you know, some, some could be in the service. They just not, but some can't be in the service and they can't be because maybe they're in a wheelchair. Maybe they're confined to a bed. I know we have people even in this service today who live with chronic pain and it, and, and it's just almost, it's an, it's an unbearable thing. Think about this. If God came to you today and said, what is the one thing that you wish I would do for you? What is your one, I've saved you, I've forgiven you, I'm not talking about that, but what is the one thing some would say, God, if I could just be free from this chronic pain. Some say, God, if I could just walk. Some home today saying, God, if I could just drive again. Some say, John, it's not so much a physical pain or a physical limitation, but for me, if I, if I could only ask God to do one thing for me today, I would just, I would just ask God to help me and to overcome this depression 
I just live in depression. I, I, I live, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a, I don't portray it, but, but really I'm, I'm just down all the time. Some would say, John, for me, it's anxiety. I'm just so nervous and so worried. And so others would say, oh, John, it's a racing mind. Others would say, John, it's worrying. I just worry so much about everything. Others would say, oh, John, for me, it's fear. Some would say, oh, John, for me, if I could just ask God to, to free me from anything, it's guilt over sins I've committed in the past. I know God has forgiven me, but if he could just wash that guilt away. And so if, if, if we said, God, I wish you could do this or this or this, God says, now some of that stuff, like the guilt and fear and all that, God says, I can help you with that now. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. I can help you with all that now. But for some things, God says, this part of your life is not gonna be perfect and it's not gonna be whole until you get to heaven. And he allows us to have these difficulties. Why? I don't know fully. So that we'll trust him, certainly. But also so that we will look better to a better day. Think about this. If our lives were completely perfect on earth, why would we want to go to heaven? I mean, if everything was perfect. I mean, one of the things that happens when we have problems in life, it creates within us a longing for a better place and for a better day. And that's how God intended it. Look at this passage in Revelation chapter 21. The New Testament comes to an end and God is telling us now what is going to happen in heaven. Notice what it says. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. When Mephibosheth sat at the king's table, you know what Mephibosheth would have said? He would have said, man, King David has made all things better. My life is so much better now than it was in Lodabar. When we get where we're going in heaven, you know what we're gonna say? We're gonna say King Jesus did something better than that. King Jesus didn't just make things better. King Jesus made things new. And that's what we have to look forward to in our future. Amen. And so, Father, today, help us to learn from Mephibosheth. And to be reminded, Lord, from whence we have come and all the great things you've done for us. But God, help us to be reminded that a better day is coming. And we're going to be made whole physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually. We're going to be made whole in every way. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed, Christian friend, would you just thank God for his kindness to you in Jesus Christ? That he has brought you from that dry, barren Lodabar to the king's table. And even though your life's not perfect and even though there's still problems, it's so much better than it was before. And there is a sense in which it is already new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And yet there's another sense in which the ultimate newness, the lasting newness, the whole newness awaits us in heaven. Would you thank God today that this life is not all there is? 
that God has more in store for us than we're experiencing right now. And that when we get there, the wheelchairs won't be there. The canes won't be there. The pills won't be there. The cancer won't be there. The chemotherapy and the radiation, they will not be there. That we'll be whole in the King's presence. Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives with that anticipation. Grateful for what we have. But looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, for those of you today say, John, that's an interesting sermon you just preached about Mephibosheth because I never heard of him, you might say. But I can relate to him because I too am crippled spiritually by a fall. And I'm living in a dry and barren place where I don't have any peace, not really. I don't have a real relationship with God. I don't have any hope for a better future or a better life. But John, as best as I can understand today, in my heart, I'm hearing the call of King Jesus saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me, all you have sinned, and I will forgive you. Come to me, all you who want to go to heaven, and I will make that possible for you. But the great invitation today from Jesus is come to him. And I believe in this service today, like we see this every week, I believe in this service today, there are people who need to come to Jesus and who need to be saved. And if that's you, would you just pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Forgive my sin and all my sins and make me a Christian. Lord, bring me out of this dry place Bring me into your presence. Make me a new person with a new heart and new desires to follow you. Lord, I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Just tell him that today. Somebody's, I believe somebody's saying that. Lord, I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.